This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to get into part two of the mailbag. We had so many questions and such an overwhelming response that we had to break up yesterday's mailbag into two episodes which is great because it means we're getting outstanding questions and keep them coming every week when we do these mailbags. Chris and I really look forward to it. And I say Chris because, of course, I am joined once again by the owner, the editor, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's get right back into this mailbag. Two questions here from Jesse Parrott. He wants to know, any chance the Jets re-sign Mo Claiborne? And the second thing is, which beat writer is going to come into camp in the best shape of his life? So first part of this question, I haven't heard any interest in Claiborne. I don't think it would be the worst move if he was willing to come back on a one-year deal just because there's a lack of better options out there. He's probably at best about an average corner, but it's still better than what they have. So I wouldn't be against bringing him back one more time. I don't think you have much to lose, but it doesn't sound like the Jets are all that interested. As far as which beat reporter is going to come in in the best shape of his life, I'm going to bet on my friend Dennis Wazak here. I know that Chris is going to have a different answer, but I think that if Dennis works a little bit in the offseason, he can come in there in tip-top shape and he's going to put all the other beat reporters to shame. And let me tell you something. You haven't lived until you've seen a guy in the best shape of his life tweeting out scorecard emojis from training camp. Well, if we're talking about best shape as far as his emoji game, the emoji this game, then Dennis definitely wins that. Yeah, that's the best thing any of us beat writers will do all year long. So uh, if, if that's the shape we're talking about, he's definitely going to win that. I'll, I'll go back to the Claiborne thing real first. I, I'm not going to rule it out just because I haven't heard him connected with anybody else. He doesn't seem to be getting any interest anywhere else. So if that's the case, I know he, he that did like his time here. He liked the area. He, he has you know friends and that he gets along with on the team. So maybe he would be willing to come back at a reasonable number. It's possible, uh, but you know maybe he waits until training camp, halfway through training camp, sees what happens. Maybe somebody else has a starter get hurt. So who knows? But I won't rule it out. But I'll still say it's unlikely. As for the the best shape, that this is an easy easy answer, and it's uh, Matt Stipikowski. <laughs> First off. Dennis is older, got got kids to deal with. So he, I don't know how he's going to have the time to get him. Stipkowski's the young guy. He's already in great shape. He, he's he's the one guy on the on the, the beat writer roster who can actually say that he's in the best shape of his life. The rest of us are on on the downhill. We've we've peaked. We're past our prime. You know, and Manish is probably higher up on that list than most people think. He's he's probably right there, two or three spot. But it's Tipikowski. He wins this easily in a landslide. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. 
They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from our buddy Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and very big deal Chris Nimbley, is there a pick swap out there for the Jets to acquire a center like the Kaleshi Assembly deal? A trade back with the Giants for two firsts could land Sweat, Burns, and Allen at six, and then maybe Bradbury at 17. Or they could take Jonah Williams to play center. Heard Connor Rogers say he could be an elite center on his podcast. So here's the problem. I know everybody is having these fantasies about the Giants trading these two first-round picks and a second-rounder to move up from 6-3. to I don't think the Giants are interested in doing that. I could be wrong, but I have gotten no indications that they want to do that. If the Giants are willing to give up a nice package to move up three spots, then yeah, you'd certainly have to consider it. But I don't think that that's what they want to do. I think they're fine with sitting at number six and seeing who falls to them there. As far as who you could pick at number six, a lot of that really depends on who falls. We're going to have to see if Josh Allen would be there at six or even Quinn and Williams or somebody like Burns. So there's a lot of possibilities. It all depends on how the board falls. And then at 17, sure, Bradbury could be a possibility if you really believe in him. There are other guys that you might like at other areas at 17, depending on how the board falls. But there's just so much uncertainty to really predict what they could do in that scenario. But I don't think that scenario happens because I don't think the Giants are looking to make that move up. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't see the Giants doing that. I don't see them any I don't see Gettleman wanting to package the draft picks. He's trading he traded Odell away. He's making these moves. He's acquiring draft picks. He wants to build through the draft. Even if they're going about this weirdly by, you know, then signing Golden Tate. But that's what he wants to do. He's not looking to, tr- to trade up to package them. I don't I can't see them having the need to trade up to again i talked about this earlier i don't see them having to need to trade up to get haskins or Locke if they wanted them i don't think they're gonna want them either i think right now it sounds like they probably won't take one uh unless if they do it'll be Daniel jones um so i don't i don't see them making a move like that somebody else you know could definitely look to trade up but i don't think they're going to be getting a huge haul like that and then as far as the – is there a team out there that willing to trade a center, a starting center right now? You're not going to find that right now. If you want something like that at this point, it would either have to be right before free agency started or you're going to have to wait until after the draft and after training camp cuts are made. If another team – like whoever takes Garrett Bradbury, whoever takes Bradbury – they bring him in, he starts doing great in training camp, and they're like, he's going to win the starting job. 
then maybe that team will look to flip whoever their starting center was. So we'll have to wait to see how the draft plays out to see what teams take centers and if that could open up a possibility because that's very likely that that would happen. But it's going to take a team drafting a new center and then watching him in camp and feeling comfortable starting that guy for any team to be willing to uh, trade their starting center at, at this point. Couple of questions here about Darren Lee. This one first comes in from Byron Lindyk. I think I pronounced it right. I might not have. Sorry, Byron. I hope I did. He wants to know why does everyone want to shop Darren Lee most likely for nothing when the team owes him nothing this year? We've talked about this before, but this is how I look at it. If they want to shop him, go for it. If you think you can get something decent for him, no problem. I wouldn't just give him away for like a sixth round pick, but it's possible that either McCagnan has decided that he wants this guy out of here or Greg Williams has decided that he wants this guy out of here. If that's the case, then I understand they would just take whatever they could get and move on from him. But I'm with you. I think at $2 million being the 2019 cap figure for Darren Lee, I would hang on to him as depth and try to motivate him and see if you could get something out of him in a contract year. That's what I would do. But again, it really depends on what Greg Williams and Mike McCagnin think. If they're just looking to get rid of him, then you could see him go for a sixth round pick. Yeah, I'm going to get into my semantics bag a little bit here. There's no reason not to shop him. There, there is a difference between shopping him and just getting rid of him for whatever you can get, though. There's no reason at all with, uh, you know, getting Mosley now. There's absolutely no reason to shop, not to shop him to sit there and see if you could pos- if it's possible to get a third or fourth uh, back in return. But I agree with the general premise of what he's saying here. To get rid of him for just a sixth or seventh round pick, conditional pick, something like that, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But as for why the people, why the fans are so gung ho on this, I think that's pretty obvious. There's, there's, you know, everything, uh, his his tweets, his twittering, the whole thing at the concert, the fact that he's been an underwhelming player and an inconsistent player. Fans just want him gone and off at their team. Fans, of course, as we talk about all the time, you can't make decisions based on fans' emotions and what they want. So just because the fans just want them gone doesn't mean it's smart. I, I would absolutely shop them, but unless you're getting something of actual value back for them, I'd probably just hold on to them and see what you can get out of them. But again, just like you said, if Greg Williams is turned on the tape and determined, yeah, I don't want this guy on my defense, Go ahead, get rid of them. That's okay, too. It's not like that's going to really hurt. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question about Lee comes in from Maddie Trainer. He wants to know, do you guys think there's a chance that Lee gets a look at outside linebacker slash edge, assuming the Jets don't sign a veteran or get any trade offers for him? 
probably not. He's too small and he's not strong enough. He doesn't have that combination of size and speed that you need to be on the edge. I think that when they drafted him, they thought he was going to be that like Dion Buchanan type player where he could be a little bit of a coverage linebacker, a little bit of a tackler, kind of that hybrid. It didn't work out that way. Lee just doesn't have the coverage skills or the instincts to make it work. And he's not big enough to be able to be an edge rusher in a 3-4. So he's kind of a square peg in a round hole at this point. But I do think there are ways that you could use him in special situations. You can increase his value to another team that might want to use him in a 4-3 next year because his contract is up at the end of the year where maybe you can move him at the deadline or if he has a good enough year maybe get some sort of comp pick for him but yeah I don't see him being an edge rusher at all in a 3-4 yeah he's he's too way too he's too small for middle linebacker he's too small for an edge rusher um you know now could they use him in certain uh packages with certain ways where they could like blitz him uh through you know a or b gaps like where the the gap is big enough um depending on the play and the formation and how it's spread out and who you got there on the line occupying guys if they can basically design it and they know that there's going to be you know a couple yard gap here that he can shoot through they could probably he could do some wrinkles here and there in like a part-time role like that and sneakily surprised Aaron Lee on some blitzing there. They they could do that. The best bet if you're trying to maximize him is try to use him in more of a 4-3, you know, role there in a the covered role and just see if he can build on that with the help around him. But, uh, you know, that he's, you know, you're going to sit here and I know this, I, I think this is a large part why fans want to get rid of him. They're, they're just over it we've seen what he is and maybe in a completely new role he could be different and better but the jets aren't going to do that with him so he to look and expect some huge jump or you know him to be as consistent or as good as he was in spurts last year but on a consistent basis it that just seems a, a little bit of like you know high hopes way too high hopes i just don't seem like realistic possibility at this point next question comes in from michael at mbk 7285 he's one of my favorite people to make teddy bridgewater jokes with he says think about it guys it's not being reported but could there be a qb controversy in the midst because you have the great trevor simeon coming in against plain vanilla sam darnold i will say that as far as hair goes you might have to go with Simeon, so there could be a hair controversy at least. Oh, that's interesting. I, 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 I can't even, I can't even picture Simeon's hair. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, geez, this is you know football. They got the helmets and everything. I'm not watching Trevor Simeon that much. Uh, I can't even picture his hair. So, uh, you know, but uh, it's you know Sam Darnold's got that. Uh, what was it, Jimmy Neutron? That that look going for him. <laughs> he he really does look like a cartoon character. So it, it just it just makes me smile every time I look at him. Doesn't answer the question, but it's not a serious question. So cartoon character is Sam Darnold. Yay. <laughs> Next question comes in from Quarren Wilson. He wants to know what are the chances the Jets signed somebody like Eric Berry? Is there a veteran wide receiver the Jets may have their eye on? 
I suppose they may have their eye on a veteran receiver, but I don't really think they need one. They have three pretty good receivers, and they have Deontay Burnett, who seemed to show them something at the end of last year. And on top of that, maybe they get somebody in the draft. If somebody shakes free, I guess they could add, but I don't really see the purpose of going for a guy who's an older wide receiver that's not necessarily going to add that much. As far as Eric Berry, I guess if the price is right and they feel like he could be a fit, maybe if Greg Williams thinks that he would be good in his defense, but I don't necessarily think that he's a need. But again, if he's one of those guys that's hanging around and nobody's really knocking at his door and you can get him super cheap and Greg Williams thinks he could be useful, maybe? Yeah, my thing with Barry, and I mean, listen, I I love Eric Barry. Uh, When he was healthy and before he had the cancer, he was one of my favorite players in the league to watch. Uh, and his story of coming back from beating the cancer, coming back from it, is nothing short of remarkable. But then he's had the injuries piling up afterwards. And you, look, this we're in, stuck in between here where somehow people think that the Jets are set at, at safety, and, but then you, got, you set at Jamal at safety. Then Marcus May, we got injury concerns about him. Rontez Miles, you know, not a full safety, whatever, special team guy, but he's had injury issues. Uh, Doug Middleton there, he's headed. Uh, another player I really like when he's healthy, but he can't stay healthy, keeps getting hurt. So that other uh, safety position is a whole bunch of injury question marks. And now you're going to sign another guy who has a injury question marks? That doesn't make a lot of sense. You, you, you have way too many people there that you can't depend to stay healthy there as far as the veteran receiver yeah sure maybe i could see them adding some guy uh, uh, you know not like a, a big name but somebody who's been around you know even like a, an andre roberts type uh you know who's more of a special teams player or whatever uh then maybe there's a training camp cut there but what the Jets need at receiver is a, a number one receiver. They don't really need, I mean, obviously depth, you always want depth, but what they need to make that receiving core complete is the number one guy. So they could look to add another veteran at some point and sure, cool, whatever. But the difference maker is going to be only if they can get like a true number one somehow, whether that's in the draft or a trade. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Bennett Robbins. He wants to know, given Haskins' pro day performance, if the Jets were to move down and get the Giants, the Redskins, or some other QB needy teams to bid against each other, what can the Jets realistically get in draft picks, or do they need to stay at three? I've said this before. My preference would be to stay at three unless somebody makes a crazy offer. If a team makes a crazy offer, fine, go ahead and accept it and move out and get a whole bunch of picks. 
as far as what you could get, it really kind of depends on who's doing the offering or how far you're moving back. Because if you're moving back with a team like the Redskins to 15, that's a big jump. If you're moving back three spots with the Giants, that's a much smaller jump. And so that is really going to determine what the price is. I would imagine that if it was the Redskins, you're looking probably at the 15th pick plus a second and third this year, a first next year, and maybe even another pick beyond that. If it's the Giants... You could be looking at the 6th and 17th pick and then maybe a mid-round pick on top of that. So the difference in price is going to depend really on how far you have to slide back. Yeah, it's going to depend on that. And it's also going to depend if the way he presented the question, if there's multiple teams interested in it, then that's going to obviously, the price is going to go up. Uh, if you got the Giants and especially if you got the Giants and Washington both trying to go for it and they both want their quarterback and, you know, listen, uh, Daniel Snyder is an impulsive guy who could, could, he could do that and fall in love with somebody and, and get caught, swept up and make a move like that. We've seen it before. It's blown up in his face before and it's never stopped him from going and trying again. So uh, that, that is probably if you're uh, Jets fans holding out hope for a trade back. That's probably I know it's a little farther back than you want to go down, but that's probably the team most likely to do something just you know a little reckless and and uh, stupid so that you take advantage of. But if you got the Giants and Washington battling out to try to trade up there, then you can definitely squeeze the most value out of that trade there. I just, again, I don't see anybody doing it at that point for one of those quarterbacks. I don't think anyone's going to fall in love with either of these guys enough to do that. I could certainly be wrong, and we'll know more as the draft approaches, but I, I think you're right. If if it's with the Giants, I don't even think that you could do it for that the Giants would give up both those first-round picks. I would think it would probably be like, Oh, uh, just to move back three spots, they'd probably give you the sixth and then like a second and a third or some combination, something like that. I don't think it, you're not going to get the same deal that the jet, that the Colts got last year. And then remember the, the jets actually did pretty well to not have to give up a future first rounder to get that as well. So to think that the jets would be able to drop down just three spots, do the same exact move and do much better than than the Colts did last year, even though the court, it doesn't seem to make sense. I think a lot of it also, as you said, is going to depend on the competition because if a bunch of teams are really looking to move into that spot, then the Giants might feel the pressure to give up the 6th yeah. and the 17th. If not, you could be right, and it's only a second and third at that point. I might think twice about making the deal. Next question comes in from Darren Morgan Jr. He wants to know, if the Jets can't find a trade partner, which offensive lineman could they realistically draft in the third round that you like? I haven't done a ton of work on mid-round offensive linemen so far. A guy like Eric McCoy might be interesting if he makes it to the third, but like you said, Chris, it's starting to look like he might not. Beyond that, I don't have that many names for you at this moment. I've been focusing so much on the players that are going to be drafted at the top of the draft that I haven't really focused so much on the guys that are in the mid-rounds yet. Yeah, I don't, and uh, you know, I asked Connor Rogers this uh, uh, last week after uh, the Paradise signing for me to go back and who should I look at. And, uh, you know, there was uh, McCoy was one guy. Was a Michael Jordan kid from Ohio State? who's like a guard center uh, combo. 
There, there's a couple names out there. There will be more out there. I haven't started digging into the tape on them yet. I did start uh, looking at some Quinn and Williams this week there. Um, so I, I've started digging into some tape, but I haven't gone into the centers yet. And, you know, again, Bradbury is going to be gone. McCoy is probably going to be gone. But there will be some some good solid options there, whether it's Michael Jordan there. You know, obviously Jonah Williams will be gone too, whether a team take him to play tackle, guard, or center. Um, but I, I can look at the names Connor gave me and then what, what I'm going to look and then can tweet it out later. But off the top of my head, I don't have those, those names uh, listed out right now. Next question comes in from Matt Diner. He wants to know, here's the scenario. Bose is gone. Williams is gone. Do you take Josh Allen at three, or do you trade back and grab Greedy Williams or another corner and get a starting center in the second gained by the trade back? Basically, what's more important, getting a pass rusher or grabbing a corner and a center? I think there are so many layers to this question and what the correct answer would be because, A, it depends on how good you think Josh Allen is going to be. B, it depends on how good you think the other prospects are. So, to me, it's not really that important as far as filling positional need it's much more important to get guys that you think are going to be the best players possible and that's really what this offseason should have been about for McCagnan and I think that getting Le'Veon Bell and getting CJ Mosley is a step in the right direction because those are two of the best players in the league at their position and they're in their prime and so that's who you target I think that if you believe that Greedy Williams is going to be a shutdown corner then you could pick him if you trade down a couple of spots I think if you believe that Josh Allen is going to be the next Von Miller, then you probably stay at three unless you get some sort of crazy offer. If you trade down, do you pick an offensive lineman? Again, this is all depending on how your board falls. I mean, look at what the Browns did last year. Everybody thought it was crazy that they picked Denzel Ward over Bradley Chubb. And now listen, both guys had excellent rookie seasons, but Denzel Ward looked like he could be one of the best corners in the league for years to come. And we saw some injuries and all that, but still, there's a lot of promise there. So if you believe that a guy that's there at corner could be a great corner, you could pick him. If you believe that a guy that's there at offensive line, say Jawan Taylor, if you trade down and he's still available, could be your left tackle for the next 12 years, that could be the guy that you pick. It really depends to me more than anything else beyond positional value what you think of the individual prospects. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I've, I've played around a little bit with, you know, these mock uh, draft simulators and thought about the greedy Williams play too. Um, you know, I've, I watched him play a bunch live, but I haven't gone and uh, uh, broken down his tape yet either. Um, you know, but I'll I'll answer this question this way: Is which position do I think uh, the, the which position would hurt the Jets the most if they don't have a a really good player starting there? And that's center to me. If if Jonathan Harrison isn't good enough and he has to be the starter, then who knows how that can affect the line and how much that can impact Sam Darnold, where I think that they could go and completely neglect pass rusher and cornerback and still have a really good season, where I think if they completely neglect center, that's the, the position that would most likely blow up the season. Um, now, you can't really sit there and say that, you know, obviously you're not taking a center at number three because of that. But if you're trading back 
And then, you know, in that 15, 17 range we're talking, then I'd, I'd say, you know, Bradbury would be more important than a Greedy Williams. And for just this year, for just this instance, because protect and Darnold, I've been saying this all offseason, I would have been fine with the Jets just going all offense. Just protect Sam, give Sam weapons, then you can let the defense catch up later. But the most important thing is to build everything around Sam, keep Sam going on the upside, the uptick uh, trajectory going forward, and then start worrying about the defense afterwards. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This last question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. I love that handle. <laughs> he says, how upset will people be when Brandon Shell starts camp on the pup list and Compton is competing with Quale for the starting right tackle spot? In other words, what I'm asking is, what in the world is Mike McCagnan doing and why does he have such a fixation with overpaying mediocre offensive linemen? I don't know about the overpaying part. Quale got like a million dollars, so I'm not really going to get too upset about that. But as far as them bringing in Compton and Quale, yeah, I suppose there were better depth options there. But Compton did start 13 games last year for the Minnesota Vikings. So he's got some experience. It's better than Quale, at least. I don't really know what else to tell you. But yeah, if Shell starts the season on the pup list, which I suppose is possible, even though I'm hearing good things about his prognosis, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. I would like to see them get more depth in the draft because I think that's typically how you build better depth on the offensive line. I suppose they could have done better than Compton and Quale, but I mean, I don't really know what else to tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, the the I I agree with you about the you know the overpaying part is uh, you know reality here because he's not really overpaying these guys, but his obsession of building the offensive line through free agency is a problem. Yeah. It's a problem I've been talking about since all off season. I've been talking about it since last year. You really need to try to build most of your offensive line through the draft. And it's fine to find a guy here and there swing a trade for no to do that. But the problem is he needs to go out and get these guys because he hasn't drafted them. And he hasn't, it's not even that he's missed on the, the offensive line because he just hasn't drafted them. Shell's the only one that he spent anything on. He traded up for him, but it wasn't even, it wasn't a top, uh, you know, a first, second or third pick on him. So he needs to draft some of these offensive linemen and, and develop them and keep them in and, and go about it that way. Uh, if Shell starts on the pup list, if Shell starts the season on the pup list, it's, I think it's going to be because he suffered another injury. He or re-injured it, and he's, he should be fine by training camp at least. Um, but you know, listen, his, his Twitter name it tells you all you need to know, and the Jets fans are going to be upset no matter what happens. They're going to be upset if Shell's perfectly healthy and it's not good enough and they'll definitely be upset if uh, Compton or Quale is starting there and uh, they'll be upset if Jonathan Harris is there. Jet fans will always find something to be upset about until the Jets prove long enough until that person no longer needs to be prepared for disappointment and, and like then then the Jets fans will give them the benefit of the doubt but the Jets have not earned that benefit of the doubt as of yet 
Yeah, I agree completely with what you said, by the way, Chris. I think that McCagnan's obsession with doing this in free agency, especially adding depth, has been a major problem. The teams that have good offensive line depth typically are the ones that get these guys in the middle rounds, and that's how you build depth on the O-line and even on the D-line. And McCagnan has just shown no willingness to try to do that. Again, you could point out better options in Quale and Compton, But realistically, the options out there weren't anything special. And if McCagney wants to fix this offensive line and the depth problem, it's going to have to come over the course of a season or two in the draft. He's going to have to start making real investments there. He hasn't done it yet. His biggest investment in an offensive lineman in the draft has been Brandon Shell. Gave up a fourth rounder to move into the fifth round. And really beyond that, the last time the Jets made anything close to a decent investment in an offensive lineman in the NFL draft, it was... Vladimir Dukas. So it's been a while. That one didn't work out so well, but at least they gave it a shot. McCagney's going to have to start doing a little bit more in the draft to get himself some better offensive linemen and certainly more depth players. And that brings us to the end of our mailbag. This was part two of a two-part mailbag because we decided that instead of cutting out a bunch of questions, we would answer everybody's questions and make it a two-parter because Chris is a very big deal And he does not like to leave things unfinished. It's kind of like that South Park episode where Cartman says he goes crazy if somebody starts singing the song Come Sail Away by Styx. He has to finish the song. Otherwise, he goes insane. That's kind of the way Chris is with these mailbags. He's such a big deal that he feels like he's not doing his big deal duties if he doesn't finish the mailbag. So we broke it up into two parts. But I think that we answered a lot of really good questions, and I'm glad that you guys got them in. We're going to do another mailbag next week, so we'll be ready for that one. In the meantime, Chris, I know you've got a lot of stuff cooking over at JetsInsider.com, and I know that you've got a lot of tape to watch over the next couple of days and weeks, of course, as we get ready for the NFL Draft. So for anybody that isn't following you or isn't reading your work, why don't you go ahead and let them know how they can interact with a very big deal and read a very big deal's work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jets Insider and at C Nimbly. Um, obviously, JetsInsider.com. I've been uh, this week. I've been doing a lot of watching tape, uh, doing all that. I got a lot of articles just waiting, waiting to publish. Uh, just got to finish uh, the rest of this business stuff. Was almost there. Got almost got the ads and everything up and running. And then once I do, I have a bunch of articles ready to post. You know, and I'm definitely going to shift my focus to the draft over these next couple, uh, you know, weeks and months. And uh, yeah, if, if you know, you can obviously look at the the, the draft experts and the scouts and all of them, but uh, I'm probably going to be putting out a lot, a lot more draft content than any other of the beat writers. So I'll have a lot of stuff there for you guys in the next couple of weeks as we try, kind of transition from free agency to the draft here, which is going to obviously be a huge draft for McCagden, a draft that he absolutely needs to nail. No question about it. Mike McCagden, I've said this many times, and you have too, Chris, absolutely has to get impact players in this draft. It starts at number three or if he trades down, but he cannot afford to come out of this draft without impact players. It's funny because my friend Chris Walker and I have talked about this. Coming into the offseason, the Jets' mission should have been to add a minimum of three to four Pro Bowl caliber players. They've added two right now. They added Le'Veon Bell. They added C.J. Mosley. If those guys stay healthy, they should be shoo-ins for the Pro Bowl. And you could see it happen with Kaleshi Semele too, if he stays healthy. 
That fourth guy could come in the draft. In fact, I would argue it has to because if you're picking at number three and you pick a guy that doesn't become a Pro Bowl caliber player, then you've really failed. And then from yeah. there, you've got the other picks and you've got to make more Christopher Herndon type picks. Guys that you pick in the third, fourth, or even fifth round that turn into hidden gems. Because if you don't do that, then you're not going to be able to build out this roster the way that you want to. And we're going to be talking about this all over again next season. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. He needs to nail that. And, uh, you know, absolutely at the top, that number three pick has to be a Pro Bowl type player. You know, obviously not year one, but he has to be somebody you can see and somebody grow into it and then continue to develop. And then he needs to find he needs to find that offensive line depth. He needs a full center to start, but then also offensive line depth and good, solid players hit on another Herndon. You know, he needs to do that. You can't be throwing away third and fourth round picks on receivers who aren't going to be on the the roster the year after. He can't keep doing that. This is why they have to overpay in free agency. This is why they have to do all that stuff. You know, they they don't don't need to go after C.J. Mosley if Darren Lee has was so underwhelming. Uh, so you know, if they went and got uh, Deion Jones instead of uh, Darren Lee, they wouldn't need to do that. So. Do you spend in free agency often to cover up your mistakes in the draft? So the key here, stop making so many mistakes in the draft. Absolutely. That is the key. Got to start hitting on these draft picks. That's how you build a successful team. We'll see if Mike McCagnin can start to do that this coming draft. He's going to need to. He's got a month to prepare now. I'm sure he's been doing it for quite a while, but he's got a month left. Got to make these picks count. Period. End of sentence. Because if he doesn't, then really nothing else is going to matter over the next couple of years. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Make sure that you go ahead and check him out on Twitter and at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.